So when I was growing up, my mom had this one rule. Well, my mom had a lot of rules, but she had this one rule where when we got home from school, we had to stay outside until one of two things had happened. Either dinner was ready, so we came in, we ate, and we were in for the rest of the night, or it had gotten dark. So the summers were grueling. I mean, it, it doesn't get dark until like 8, 8.30, and so we were outside from, you know, I don't know, all day, and we couldn't come in until it was dark, and I felt like my mom would purposely not have dinner ready until that time. But there were tons of stuff for us to still do. I mean, we had, a, we had a pool, we had a trampoline, we had a swing set, we had all these crazy things that would keep us entertained while we were waiting. So, so it really wasn't that bad. And I have three other siblings, so we really kept each other well entertained. But it wasn't until the winter would come around that it would get a little more difficult to abide to this rule that my mom had. Uh, the days were shorter, so that was a plus. We could go inside a little bit earlier. Dinner was usually ready around then, but there wasn't a whole lot to do. See, the, the pool was covered. It was too cold that if we got on the trampoline, we would jump up and down and the wind would make us really cold. The swing set, kind of the same deal, right? So, so there was less to do, but there was a shorter amount of time. So we would usually just kind of wait around until dinner was ready. I remember specifically sitting on our porch, just kind of sitting there and waiting. Uh, in anticipation that my mom comes outside and says, okay, dinner's ready, or it gets dark and I get to go inside. So Christmas kind of feels like that to me. See, Christmas has come and gone. We're past it. We spent four weeks in Advent celebrating and and anticipating the birth of Jesus, and and now here we are, post-Christmas. What do we do? And I, I, right now we're in this waiting period where Jesus has been born and we're waiting on the wise men to get here. So post-Christmas, pre-Epiphany, Epiphany is when we've celebrated the wise men coming, and, and I keep asking myself, now what? And I don't really know what to do in this time. So the classic Christmas scripture we hear every year, you probably just heard it uh, a few days ago, comes from Luke chapter 2. And while I love that scripture, I want to jump to another birth narrative, another gospel that tells us the birth of Jesus, and that's the gospel of Matthew. So the second half of Matthew chapter 1 actually talks about the birth of Jesus, and, and then it talks a little bit about what happened um, after Jesus was born. And so I'm going to read that for you here. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about those things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, your Mary, sorry, to, to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So 
that's pretty much in line with what Luke says, right? And so it, it's this next part that gets different, and, and that's really where I want to focus on today. It says, so all this was done, Jesus was born, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. So this is all we have to work with when it comes to the birth narrative, the story of Jesus in Matthew. Um, it, it's really, I, I really find it strange because that's the end of chapter one. Jesus has been born. So the beginning of chapter two actually jumps to a completely different location. It talks about uh, King Herod hearing the news that Jesus has been born, and he's talking to the three wise men that he is actually sending out to go find this baby um, and do away with him, right? And then you hear later on that that the wise men never came back, and, and that Herod then ordered every male child under the age of two in the entire kingdom to be killed. Um, so I don't want to focus on either of those. I want to focus on the in-between. So did you notice what happened in between Jesus being born? So when it says, and he called his name Jesus, and what I just described in chapter two, there's absolutely nothing. They, they jump to each other. And this is what I find confusing to me. But, but as I've been kind of meditating on this scripture uh, and thinking about what it means, a lot of times, other places in scripture, when nothing is written down, that usually means the author didn't find what happened in that period important enough to write down. I mean, the the paper that these authors wrote on was super expensive, ink was incredibly expensive, and they didn't have an infinite amount of it. So, so when they were writing things down on the papyrus, they were writing the most important things. And, and so the fact that they didn't write anything down meant that it wasn't important enough to record into what they figured would be the rest of history. So I find myself asking the question, what were Mary and Joseph doing in this time that wasn't important? And so I conducted some field research. I know you're going to appreciate this. So I don't have kids. So I couldn't conduct this personally. So the next best person that I know that has kids who's been pregnant, who's been where Mary has been, not the whole son of God thing, but she's been where Mary has been as my sister. So my sister has uh, a four-year-old girl named Brooklyn. She has a like one-and-a-half-year-old girl named Vera. Uh, and then she's pregnant with her third mystery child. We don't know the gender. Um, but so my sister has had two kids and is pregnant with her third. So she's been pregnant, had a kid, and she's been in this after period that we're sitting in right now. So I give her a call. And I said, Katie, I have a quick question for you. Uh, when you give birth, so when you had Brooklyn and when you had Vera and when you have baby number three, what do you do those 12 days 
after you've given birth? And I, I'll never forget her initial answer. And it was almost like a reflex. She said, cry. Right? So she said, I, I cry. She said, I, I'm emotionally unstable. I cry for probably a few weeks uh, for no apparent reason. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not really helping my point here very much. Um, so I kind of I pried a little bit. And I said, let's just say hypothetically, you, you have a baby on December 24th, right? Uh, you know, Christmas Eve, no big deal. I mean, that'd be a special baby. But hypothetically, you had a baby on Christmas Eve. Um, and you were expecting a group of pastors from your church to come and see you, I don't know, 12 days later, right? Um, what would you do in those 12 days before the pastors got there? And you kind of see where I'm going with this. I was prying to see, to kind of put her in that state that Mary was in. And she had trouble coming up with an answer. She initially asked, she said, what's all of this for? And, and so I explained that I, I was going to be able to teach here and, and, and on this scripture and what was going on. And, and I then ended up telling her, I was like, can I pry a little bit? Can I, can I just guess maybe what you do? Um, and then you can tell me if I'm correct. She liked that a lot more. And so I asked her, I said, okay, so new baby, baby's home. Uh, babies don't sleep a ton is what I hear. So I'm going to guess that you try to get as much rest as possible, right? So any of you who have, who have young kids or who have had young kids, I would assume that during this period after you've had your child, you, you try to get as much rest as possible. And she said, yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's not regular, but, it, you know, I rest as much as I can. I said, okay, good. I said, second thing I think you might do you're usually on maternity leave. Usually mom and dad get to stay home. Um, but usually no one has to work uh, for a period of time. Let's say three weeks, right? 12 days, let's say two weeks, just to keep it, keep it simple. So you spend a ton of time with your family. It, it, probably the most consecutive amount of time you get to spend with your family, maybe ever, unless you're on a vacation or something. She said, yeah, she said, you know, her, her and my brother-in-law um, and their, their kids get to spend a ton of time together because there's nothing else to do except take care of this new baby. And then I said, um, I said, what does all of this mean to you? Like this rest that you get, the time you get with your family, what does it mean to you? And she told me it's the most, invaluable time she has in her life. It's, it's so joyful that she gets to have this time with her new child and her family. And I loved that answer so much, and it really got me thinking more about these 12 days that we're in. Like I said, we're in between Christmas, which is a huge celebration of the birth of Jesus, and I cherish Christmas every year. It's one of my favorite holidays for so many reasons. And then we've got Epiphany coming up, when the wise men are coming to confirm that he is, in fact, the Son of God. Two glorious celebrations in the life of the church, but I really can't help but think, what do we do in the in-between? And not just these 12 days that we're in right now, but what do you do in the in-betweens all year long? What do you do between Christmas and Easter? What do you do between Easter 
and Christmas. Those are the two big days in the life of the church that I think of. And I think that that we anticipate these days because they're huge celebrations. But what do we do in the in-between? So let's focus in on these 12 days. Most of you may be kind of slow at work. Maybe some of you who teach or work for schools are completely off of work and you have a ton of free time on your hands now. Praise be to God for that. What are you doing with it? I'm assuming Mary and Joseph were resting, like my sister said, as much as they possibly could, right? In between a crying, normal human baby Jesus, they were resting as much as they could. How are you resting in this time? They're also spending a ton of time together as a little family during this time. How are you valuing the time that you have with your family right now? I feel like a lot of times we can let these days go by and not see the immense value that's in them. I think a lot of times we can let days go by and not take advantage of the rest that we can get. Now, I know you've heard this a ton, but man, 2020 has been quite the year, hasn't it? I think we all need a little bit of rest from the year in general, the year before starting whatever next year is going to bring with it. So I want you to begin thinking about this. How do you find rest? And I think there are three very important kinds of rest. Uh, you've, You've got physical rest, you've got mental rest, and then you've got your spiritual rest. All three super important um, God, God calls us to love him with our mind, body, soul, and strength. And all of those things need to be rested in order for us to do that, to love him with all of it, to love others with all of it, right? So how do you rest in those ways? I'll give you some examples. I love to physically rest. One of my favorite ways to do this is to grab a book, sit on the couch, and read the book until I fall asleep. Just the other day I was doing this, I was reading this new book that I was really into, but I was also extremely tired. I think it was a Sunday afternoon, and so that's usually my nap time. And so I'm laying on the couch, I'm reading the book, and then all of a sudden I wake up two hours later and the book has fallen on my face and I just woke up from a glorious nap. And I realize that's one of my favorite ways to physically rest, to fall asleep when I'm not planning on doing it. And I don't give myself a lot of time to do things like that. But I need to work that into a more normal schedule. Why not try to do that every Sunday afternoon, right? How do you gain physical rest? The next thing, mental rest. Probably one of the most important things. You don't have to take a nap to get mental rest, but you do need to try and push out all the worries and anxieties and everything that comes with your normal life. These 12 days we're in are quiet. Work isn't as busy because it's not the new year yet. Again, if you're a teacher, you're you're, you're on break, you're not teaching again. The hustle and bustle is coming, and we know that. But how are we mentally resting ourselves right now? I love to go to a coffee shop, take a book, take the Bible, something, and read. Again, I like to read. But I'm in an environment that's loud, typically. I have a warm cup of coffee, and I'm reading, and and I'm relaxing. 
other ways I mentally rest is, is I play video games. Something mind-numbing that doesn't take a lot of my attention or effort, but it's something that helps clear my head and, and, and take me away from everything that's going on in the outside world, all of, all of these influences that I have going on. And the last one, spiritual rest. So how do you rest spiritually? I hope Mary was resting in the fact that she had just given birth to the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us. The one that as, as a young Jewish woman, she had heard about through her entire life. She had read the Old Testament scriptures, the prophecies. She, she knew, but she wasn't, she wasn't expecting it to be her. And now that he was here, I'm sure she looked at him and she rested in the peace of God with the Prince of Peace right there with her, right? And so how do you rest spiritually? I love to take scripture and go somewhere quiet and see where the Holy Spirit can lead me in reading those scriptures. Sometimes it's by having conversations with close friends over a cup of coffee. So now you've known enough about me to where I read a lot and drink a lot of coffee, right? But these are, these are the ways that help me rest in those three different occasions. So that's what I want you to begin thinking about. How do you rest physically? How do you rest spiritually? How do you rest mentally? Build those into your schedule on purpose in these 12 days and then translate that into the rest of your year. Find rest in any way you can. It helps you love your neighbor more than you may think. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen.